Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in. Here's Zedekiah saying, I know what you're saying is true. I know it's right, but I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid of people. You know, there's this thing about the truth. It's often uncomfortable. In our attempt to remain comfortable, we can find ourselves denying the truth. Oh, but to what end? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah had been telling the truth to the king, but he was not having a bar of it because his popularity was at stake. King Zedekiah wasn't the first to discover that the truth of God's word requires surrender. Join Dr. Corbett now. You can save your life if you surrender. So we're in Jeremiah 38. We're going to be looking from verse 14, and this is, you can save your life if you surrender. There's another one of those powerful little prepositions, the preposition if. We're going to see another powerful little preposition. It's the preposition, but. (laughs) Those two little prepositions that occur in the Bible, they change everything. We're in Jeremiah 38. We're starting at verse 14. King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. The king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Remember the context is that Jeremiah's already called, uh, been called by the king and the king has said, is there a word? And, and Jeremiah said, yes, there's a word. You must surrender. You must surrender to the Babylonians. And the king says, I can't do that. And Jeremiah says, but if you don't, it will be to your peril. And the king says... I just can't do it. But I know, the king says to Jeremiah, I know you are truly a prophet. I know that everything you've said has come true. And I know that what you're telling me now is true. But I fear people too much to obey. And with that, Jeremiah leaves the king's presence and some of the enemies of Jeremiah come and take him and Then go to the king and ask for his approval to throw Jeremiah down a cistern, a well. And they do, they tie his feet and they throw him in and he's upside down. And it says there was nothing but mud and debris in the bottom of this deep well. And there Jeremiah dangled for up to two weeks or so. And he hadn't eaten anything. And then eventually a eunuch Ebed-Melech. And as I said, there's a friend of mine. You met him actually when I was in America, Mark Bridgewater. He's a, if you're going to have a unique friend, it's probably going to look like Mark Bridgewater, let me tell you. Because one day, and I, I can't tell you what the sermon title that he had when he was preaching about a eunuch and his courage. Because I personally don't use that kind of language in church. But it was a very manly title. And here we have Ibed-Melech, the the eunuch, the one who had... I'm I'm uncomfortable describing because people may not know what a eunuch is. And I don't know how else to say it, but this man had his privates cut off. And that's being about as polite as I can be. And... um, uh, And yet he had more courage than most men. And he was the one that went to the king and beseeched the king. This is wrong. What's happening to Jeremiah? Please 
let's get him out of this thing. And the king said, do it. He did it. And, and the king said, but don't bring him back into public. Put him into the palace guard where he'll, he'll be safe. Truth is in the eye of the beholder. Did you pick that up? Interesting how the producers have done that. And you hear that because this, that's not the saying, is it? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But it sounds like, oh, yeah, true, yeah. And isn't that the mantra of today? Truth is for you, whatever you want it to be. And there is this sad reality that hearing the truth can be uncomfortable. Imagine a parent who, who has this attitude, you know, it's not my job, son, daughter, to, to teach you the truth. It's up to you to discover it. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm just going to take this knife and shove it in this life PowerPoint and see what happens. Discovering the truth can be deadly. Hearing the truth, as we saw King Zedekiah, can be really uncomfortable. I remember when, and Kim loves bringing this up in front of my kids because there's some photos of me when I was about 19. And it was uh, a time when I drove... I drove across Australia, I was 19, drove across Australia and, and there were photos taken of me along the way and, and I don't know why Kim loves doing this apart from the word humiliation, she, she'll point this out to the kids that you know that was back in the days when your dad never shampooed, didn't know what deodorant was. And I actually had a, a group, a group, I call them a pack or a gang of girls in the church corner me. And one of them said, look, have you ever heard of shampoo? Don't tell anyone this because I'm dying of embarrassment if anyone ever found this out. But I said, yeah, you, sh- you should, you, you, you really should wash your hair. You know those things that are flying around your hair? That's not... That's not good. Oh, well, and while we're at it, do you use deodorant? Well, you really should use deodorant. Are there any girls in this church that are thinking of boys in this church you'd love to do that to after this? It works better in packs. I have way digressed, but I'm only saying this. (laughs) I'm only saying this. Because sometimes when people confront you with stuff like that, there used to be an ad on TV, don't wait to be told. So discovering the truth can be deadly. If, and if you're prepared to take the humble route, and it, it takes humility to hear the truth and, and weigh it up for yourself. It takes humility because you may have to admit that you were wrong, previously wrong. We're in verse 15. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I tell you, Will you not surely put me to death? So remember, do you remember the first part where the king calls Jeremiah in and says, is there any word? And Jeremiah says, no. No, apart from what I've already been saying for these last 20 years, was essentially it. And that's why the king said, oh, so now there's a word, is there? And again, it's the same word. And Jeremiah, note this, if I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel... You will not listen to me. So here's the question. Why was Jeremiah reluctant to share the word of God with King Zedekiah? Why was he reluctant to do that? Well, it sounds like 
he was reluctant for very practical reasons. The king was reluctant to hear. And I actually think, I, as I ponder this, I actually think there's, a, there's a, a you and your unchurch, unsaved friends lesson here. How many of you have these? Look, I'm just going to tell you like it is anyway. Unless you turn, fella, you are going to burn, fella. Unless you, unless, unless you know, some, some Christians have this compulsion to go, look, you, can I just tell you straight, you're a sinner on your way to hell, buddy. Now, do you want, you want me to get your cappuccino? Or... See, Jeremiah was reluctant to share with the king because the king's receptivity was not what it should be to hear what Jeremiah actually wanted to say. Have you ever tried sharing with someone whose receptivity was not what it should be <laughs> with what you wanted to say? There's a way to say things, isn't there? There's a way to show care that... If you didn't, you just said the words, it's going to sound really harsh. Jeremiah is really reluctant to share because the king was reluctant to hear it. And there's, there's a lesson here, but notice what, what the king then says to Jeremiah is essentially, no, no, I, I, I want to hear it. And what's happening there is this thing, and you'll hear me talk about this a lot. I, I, I do this with... Couples as we prepare them for marriage and we go through the idea of how you resolve conflict. And, and it's, this, it's this point, you, you, never, you never go where you haven't got permission to go with someone. If you haven't got permission to go there, you're not going to get very far. So sometimes you have to get permission to, to talk to someone and to tell them what you want to say. And if you haven't got that, you're actually going to injure yourself if you try to do it. So now Jeremiah was receiving permission from King Zedekiah. So I see actually some really valuable points there that for us who are trying to witness to a dying generation, Cameron Butler called it the blue ocean generation. In other words, compared to how many people know Jesus and are in church on a Sunday, compared to how many people aren't, we're a pond, they're the ocean. And we, we have, one of the best things you can do this week is venture out into the ocean a little bit. Let people see what a Christian looks like. Let people see how a Christian responds. Let people see how a Christian talks. Let people see how a Christian has fun. Let people see how a Christian handles leisure and pleasure and money and time and let them see the difference. Just let them see the difference. You, you won't even need a soapbox, sermon notes or anything. Just live your life a little bit out in the ocean and see what happens. Verse 16. And King Zedekiah swore secretly to Jeremiah as the Lord lives who made our souls. Boy, I find that interesting. I will not put you to death or deliver you into the hand of these men who seek your life. So there's the permission. Verse 17. Then Jeremiah said to the king, then Jeremiah said to the king, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared. And this city shall not be burned with fire. And you and your house, or better understood perhaps as household or family, or perhaps in our language we might say extended family, shall live. Oh, there's a lot I'd love to say about you know, the, the expression, well, if you're not hurting anyone, it's okay. But sin always hurts someone. It always 
hurts someone. And generally, we're going to see that sin, not just it just doesn't hurt you. You may not ever even feel the full pain of your sin. <laughs> but sin will always hurt someone, and often it will have an effect for generations to come. Verse 18, But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. Verse 19, King Zed- Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. Hmm. I hear what you're saying, Jeremiah. I agree with you. I know that what you're saying is true. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't, I don't really appreciate you telling me, but I know it's true. But I'm not going to do it because I'm more afraid of people than I am of God. Anyone think of something Jesus said like that? To follow Jesus, Jesus said this, and it's kind of a word of advice, isn't it? Where he said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my heavenly father. Hmm. The fear of man brings a snare. As, as I was pondering this, today is the first of the month. And if you are perhaps like me and millions of others, it's Proverbs chapter 1 today. And, and I read Proverbs chapter 1 and, and I'm thinking, did King Zedekiah ever read Proverbs chapter 1? Where it says, I, wisdom, cry out on the streets and I, I beg I beg you, come to me. But you would not. I couldn't help but see the, how Proverbs chapter 1 just sums up this situation so powerfully. Here's Zedekiah saying, I know what you're saying is true. I know it's right. But I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid of people. And now I think in the 21st century today... How many people know that what Jesus Christ said was true, that what Jesus Christ said was right, that how we are representing it is also true. It's also right. It calls for a commitment. You can't just go, yeah, it's right and true. And yeah, it doesn't really affect me. If you don't think it affects you, you don't know how true and right it is. Because you can't hear Jesus say, come, follow me. You can't hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You can't hear him say that and think, oh yeah, whatever. We'll sort it out after I die. You can't respond like that. You can't. And if the problem is you're more afraid what your friends will think, than what God thinks, you are in eternal peril. Eternal peril. And that's not a good place to be. Verse 20, Jeremiah said, You shall not be given 
over to them. Obey now the voice of the Lord, what I say to you, in what I say to you, and it shall be well with you and your life shall be spared. And isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the gospel? If you will surrender, you will have your life. Jesus said, you want your life? Lay it down, give it up. I was telling the story last night. Phil Robertson was a top footballer and uh, he became a professional footballer and got involved in that whole scene of football and sleeping around and drugs and alcohol and the whole thing. And he married quite young. I think he was 18 when he got married and he married his 16-year-old sweetheart and, and they had a kid and um, they once he got into this football scene, he left his wife, nearly killed a man, was on the run from the law, was camping out in the bush, was, was hunting and, and looking after himself out there on the run. And, and, and his wife, Kay, she went to a church and said, oh, my life's a mess. My, man, my husband's out, just nearly killed a guy. We're in a mess. Can someone in this church help me? And they said, yeah, we'd love to help you. And she gave her life to Christ and they loved her. And, and, and as they're loving her, some of the men of the church said, where is this husband of yours? Well, we can reach out to him. And so some, some bright spark got the idea that he'd go out into the, the bush and find this guy, Phil, who, did I mention that he was an NFL footballer? Do, do you know how big these guys are? By this stage, he's grown a beard and he's looking mean and angry. He's wearing a bandana. He's got dark glasses. He's, he's the, the whole deal. And this guy goes out to him and says, that you are a lousy husband. You need to give your life to Christ. And if you don't, and then Phil pulls out a double barrel shotgun and says, is there anything else you wanted to tell me? And he said, yes, you need to give your life to Christ. And Phil was staggered that he couldn't intimidate this guy. And he said, you say one more thing about your Jesus and you, you try one more time to shove your religion down my throat, I'll give you both barrels right now. And the guy said to this, unflinching, said, at least once, come to church. Just once, do that once and I'll never hassle you again. And Phil thought, well, I'm a tough guy. Go on once, I can do that because I'm tough. And so he came in and there was an audible gasp, apparently, when he walked in, the whole church, imagine that, three, four hundred people just turned around and went, <gasps> can I just point out a leadership training moment in our church right now, leadership training, culture, don't ever do that. And don't ever do micro versions of it like, <laughs> anyway, he walked in and, and he heard, he, he had one of those, God's two hands on his shoulders looking him square in the eye moments and hearing from God, I love you, Phil. I sent my son and he died for you. And Phil said he heard those words and he said, why had no one ever told me that? He said, for the first time I heard that God sent his son to die for me and it made the world of difference he said i got it he said but i was so far out there my response was there is no way god could forgive me god doesn't know what i've done and so he got talking with this guy and this guy said look doesn't matter where you are god can forgive you it just doesn't matter what you've done how far you've run you're only one step away that's an amazing truth isn't it 
You run a million miles from God, you're only one step back. And so this guy said this to Phil Robertson. Do you think you could try to be a Christian? And Phil said, well, I don't think I could become a Christian, but I could try. And over time, the Spirit of God worked in his life. And he now is on American television with his family in a program called Duck Dynasty. And it is the number one evangelistic program in America and the only preaching that happens is when he prays at the end with his family for a meal and it takes about seven seconds and the rest of it is just him a trophy of grace all his sons uh, three four sons they all became Christians they all live for Jesus they all go to church they preach someone said we should get these guys over for Easter refresh I said I think it'd be too scary King Zedekiah, he may have gone too far in his rebellion. He says to Jeremiah, I can't turn back. He may have gone too far to easily turn back. But here's the really good news for us today. Because Jesus Christ has died. He smashed down a wall. You don't have to try to go around it now. He makes a way right through. You may think, there's no way I can get over that wall. You don't have to get over it. No way I can pound my way through that wall to come back to God. You don't have to. I, don't, I, can't, I wouldn't be able to get around it. No, you don't have to. Jesus Christ has smashed a doorway through it. He is the door, he says. You come to God through me. He's made a way back to God. You've run a million miles from God. You're only one step back because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we call this grace. You have not gone too far into rebellion to be turned back. Because of the grace of God. Who was it John Newton who got this? The slave trader who helped to transport something like over 100,000 Africans that he helped kidnap from Congo and Sierra Leone into Europe. That one day when he realized that despite his incredible, despicable wickedness, God loved him and could save him and forgive him. And he penned these words, amazing, amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God is in the business of saving wretches. The grace of God ministered by the Holy Spirit today to you can translate. And then translate is like beam me up, Scotty. It's take you, it's not, you know, uh, hello, au revoir, sin ciao, das fadonia. It's not that kind of translate. It's you're here and bang, you're here. That kind of translate. And the grace of God can translate you from being a rebel to being righteous. This is amazing. Zedekiah's rebellion not only harmed him. We've seen this. It, it, Jeremiah says it's going to affect you and your family. It's going to affect many others for generations to come. And so might your rebellion. The longer you're in rebellion, potentially the more damage you're doing. Not just to yourself, but to those quite possibly you care about. Verse 21, but if you refuse, Jeremiah says, this is the vision which the Lord has shown me. Behold, and here it is, here's the damage that would be done if he didn't repent and turn to the Lord. All the women left in the house of the king of Judah were being led out to the officials of the king of Babylon and were saying, your trusted friends have deceived you and prevailed against you. Now that your feet are sunk in the mud, which is a metaphor for you're in a 
mess. There's another word. You're in a mess. They, they, they turn away from you. All your wives and your sons shall be led out to Chaldeans, out to the Chaldeans, and you yourself shall not escape from their hand, but shall be seized by the king of Babylon, and this city shall be burned with fire. Hmm. And what Jeremiah was saying was the truth, and this is the problem that many people have with the truth. Its consequences are nearly always unwelcome. The consequences are nearly always unwelcome. But the truth is the only thing that can save us from even worse consequences. So the very thing that the king had idolized, the very thing he thought he would give up in order to turn back to God, which, by the way, as Jeremiah was pointing out, as you see in that opening scene there, they are now burning furniture for firewood. That's not prospering. And yet the king was worshipping these false gods, throwing the newborn babies of the city into the furnace to the god Molech and Ashtoreth in the hope that they would prosper, in the hope that they could have any sexual pleasure they wanted, in the hope that they would become the most popular nation on the planet. So these three things, pleasure, prosperity and popularity, had become an idol to the king and his people and they were the very things that they were being denied because of their lifestyle and they would lose them forever. And how many people today... Uh, worshipping these same idols. Pleasure, prosperity and popularity. And here's the deal. These are the very things that God was offering them. And you might think God was offering pleasure. Yes, absolutely. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist says. And prosperity, yes, absolutely. Does that mean extravagant, luxurious wealth? Not necessarily, but it means all your needs met, no debt. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and popularity, does that mean you get more likes, more followers, more Facebook friends? saw a powerful cartoon this week. It was a funeral where there was one person sitting in the church at this funeral. And the funeral director says, I honestly, I expected more people to be here. This man had 2,000 Facebook friends. And yet God offers real popularity. What do we mean by popularity? Real, real friendship with people who really care about you. And if you don't, if you don't worship the right things, the very things you think you're going to get, you're not going to have. And if you haven't already found out, and I hope you have, if you haven't already found out, God's word does not accept anything less than surrender. And that's the truth of what Jeremiah was saying, that expression, if you will, surrender. And if, if you haven't already found out, we've mentioned the truth over and over and over here. If you haven't found out, you will. And this is what you'll find out. You will be finding that truth matters. Truth really does matter. Surrender, mm, that's an ask, isn't it? But truth is that when it comes to the truth of God's word, surrender is not only what's required, it's the best approach. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, You Can Save Your Life If You Surrender, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.